spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Time to sweep the leg on a week of W2s and Hotel Apocalypse Blues. It's episode 261 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, it was tax day earlier on in the week, and then you had Hotel Apocalypse placements. Maybe you got an email, maybe you didn't. It could be a stressful week for you, so I think we should just kick back, relax, talk about some Cobra Kai Season 2. That's right. William Zabka and Martin Cove are going to join me this week to get you ready for the second season of one of my favorite shows of the last year, anyway. I was so happy at how great Cobra Kai Season 1 was. I can't wait for Season 2, especially it looks like the heat between Johnny and Daniel is higher than ever. You've got Sam getting into the mix now. She's going to be training with Dad again. And, you know, with John Kreese coming back, what the heck's going on there? Yeah, so I asked the guys about that at WonderCon. This past year, got a chance to sit down with them, so we'll talk about that. Yes, my spoiler-filled review of the Game of Thrones Season 8 premiere is this week as well, but got to start off with comics. You know that. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, the writer of Micronauts, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Okay, so maybe you're not dragging out the long box, but you're definitely carrying it, and you're definitely pressing the power button on your laptop or your tablet, because whatever you're reading on... It's time for what we're reading and going to start things out with the Justice League this week. It's Justice League number 22 from DC Comics with James Tynan IV doing the writing, Francis Manipool on the art, Tom Napolitano on the letters. Now, this is actually was billed as kind of a Legion of Doom takeover issue, but what it actually is in reality is the origin of the multiverse and the story of the mother of all creation. Now, we also get to see... At least two very familiar and pretty important faces from events in DC Comics history. Now, if you've already read the issue, I would like to think that you probably know who I'm talking about. We actually saw one of these on TV recently, not too long ago, as a matter of fact. And it's funny because we get to see how they all work together, or worked together, I should say, until the greed of one of their visions kind of took over and created just a major conflict that spiraled way out of control in a hurry, too. Now, this is the best way I can really think to describe the book without spoiling it, and there's really not much more context that I can give you there. But I'll tell you this, is when I was reading this book from start to finish, I mean, there is some present-day stuff in there, too. With, with something that, that Mara and Star, Starman are trying to stop and the Legion of Doom shows up. That much I can tell you. But that's not really a spoiler because it doesn't really amount to much in the grand scheme of things of this, possible, of this particular issue. To me, this issue kind of seemed like a DVD extra that you might watch after watching a movie and it kind of relates back to it or will relate to it at some point. It's fairly clear that this is something we'll be able to relate back to in the larger arc, but it didn't really stand out to me on its own. And I know that DC's done these like villain issues in the past, and some of them hit home, some of them didn't, some of them ended up kind of being one-shots that were out of continuity. This one at least seems like 
it's going to be part of continuity. That much I, I, I feel like I'm pretty confident in. But, you know, unless you're invested in the origin of the multiverse, in the inner workings of it, this might not be for you. I'm not saying I didn't dig it, but there's definitely times where I sort of drifted off a little bit away from what was being what was going on in the story. So, I mean, if you're not totally invested on, on what happens here, then this might not be for you. I'm, I'm not saying it's not interesting because it was. It's like, oh, so that's that's what was going on behind the scenes. And then we're talking like billions of years ago too, by the way. So, I mean, it's certainly interesting stuff. And there's certainly beautiful artwork by Fra- Francis Manipal on the interiors that you can enjoy regardless of whether the story strikes you or not. There's some beautiful imagery throughout this book, especially when you go behind the scenes like that. This may be one of these stories, though, that's easier to appreciate later on down the line than it is now, if I'm right about this being part of the larger story. It's it's one of those things where maybe the book's under a little underappreciated until you get further on down and you go back to it and you're like, oh, okay, that's why we did that. And that's why we went so deep into this particular part of it. So, I mean, it's hard for me to judge this book. I'm not going to tell you not to get the book, or I wouldn't recommend getting the, the book, but I will say that it will give you a lot of information on what was going on with the creation of the multiverse and the principal players therein. So this could provide some very valuable context for later on. So I, de- I wouldn't necessarily pass on this book, but I wouldn't jump right away to get it either. That's just my opinion. Something that I have been looking forward to for a while, actually, and I'm very happy that Punk Mambo finally got her own series. That's right, Punk Mambo number one from Valiant Comics, which is going to be coming out. Cullen Bunn on the writing there, Adam Gorham on the art, Jose Valarubia on the colors, and Dave Sharp on the letters. Love the color, too, by Dan Brentonton on this one as well. Now, everything starts in the bayou where Punk's kind of trolling a very sketchy area trying to search for some really nasty creatures. I mean, this is this is something that's, you know, you need a shower after dealing with baddies like this. Now, what she's really looking for, though, are some friends that have gone missing. If you could see the air quotes when I say the word friends, then you would totally get that, you, you know, Punk's not necessarily somebody that's going to have uh, hundreds of Facebook friends. Let's just put it that way. So, so she's finding these people... For somebody else, basically, is what it is. Now, once she finds what she's looking for, though, it just erupts into a pretty pretty big throwdown right away. Now, in the process of the battle, though, she loses something quite important. So, given that, the story kind of immediately turns on, first of all, how that was even possible and how she can get what she wants back. And I'm not going to spoil that for you. You're going to have to wait and see for yourself. Now, she gets a little bit of help. You know, like it or not, it's not necessarily her strong suit, but she gets pointed in the right direction anyway. But based on how this issue ends, the right direction could actually end up being more of a trap or not really the direction that she was planning on going in after all. Or maybe this is a necessary evil. That is the question here, isn't it? Now, this book really is classic punk mambo. She's cocky. She's brash. Going to do things her way no matter what the consequences are. But seeing that edge and that attitude drop a bit here at a couple of points in the story was very interesting and even showed a little bit of, dare I say it, vulnerability from a character like Punk, Punk Mambo. Now, giving extra, giving extra dimensions to characters like this is something Cullen Bunn's done very, very good job at 
over the years. It's sometimes in his stories it's very subtle, and sometimes it's more outward. This one seemed a little bit more subtle. But if you know the character, you kind of see, you kind of notice that, and you can see those moments that are you 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 kind of separate the sarcastic from the genuine and sometimes it's in the art too so you got to credit Adam Gorham on that as a matter of fact there's some gorgeous panels in this book altogether there's a bit of a monstrous reveal in this book during the first half it was eye popping and if this is something that that if i was seeing this on a screen never mind jumping out in front of me i might jump backwards that's how cool it was when this happened. Now, the turn at the end of the story, though, and that leads into the beginning of issue two, really, really has me interested to find out, is this going to be something that is a necessary evil, like I said, or is this something where she's been kind of led astray and now this is something that she'll have to deal with in the larger grand scheme of what she's going to be doing? So, Either way, though, I'm sold on this. I've always liked Punk Mambo as a character that would show up in Valiant Stories, Every now and then, very powerful. Love the magic aspect as well. And having somebody like Cullen Bunn at the helm, I knew he was going to be an amazing choice. And I'm so glad he's working on this book. This one is in the pull box for me. I'm going to be jumping on this one every week for sure. This Punk Mambo number one from Valiant. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next going to be my spoiler field review of maybe the biggest TV premiere in a long time. Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 1. We'll talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is D.B. Woodside from Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You thought you had a rough winter. Try being in one of the Seven Kingdoms. That's right. It's time for my spoiler-filled review of the Game of Thrones Season 8 premiere. I feel like since we're almost a week removed from it, it's safe to talk spoilers at this point, and a ton of them, by the way, just in case you haven't seen it yet. And I don't know why you haven't, but if it's been sitting on your DVR or something, or you just haven't fired up the app yet... A lot of spoilers from here on out. And the first thing we see in the episode is Danny. I like to call her Danny. You know, we're tight like that. You got Danny and John riding their army into Winterfell. Very, very big season one vibes, right? Because you had the kid running through and all that stuff. And it just felt very, very beginning of season one. So I love that. I don't know if it was a purposeful callback, but it was certainly a little bit of a callback for me. Now, they're clearly the people of Winterfell not happy to see any outsiders. I mean... And you really get that vibe from Sansa a lot, right? Because to me, it was amazing how much Sansa hated Daenerys right off the bat. Just right off the jump. Not really trying to hide it or anything. You know, Daenerys comes in and does her little queenly thing where she's trying to be nice. You know, over nice, as a matter of fact. Being very queenly and Sansa's Sansa's like, yeah, whatever. I don't like you. That's basically the stare that she was giving her. I will talk about a, a, another stare here in just a second, though, because we're going to get to that for sure. You know what I'm talking about. Now, the people of Winterfell, basically one of the main things that they're mad about is that, you know, John kind of abandoned his throne and abandoned his people, and he's like, hey, I just, just I chose the North. What do you want me to do? And I brought friggin' dragons and an army and all this stuff, and even Tyrion comes up and he's like, hey, look, if it wasn't for this guy... We'd be in a lot of trouble. He's trying to back John up. And, you know, then he tells Winterfell that the Lannister army is coming. And that's not really how you give a pep talk to the people of Winterfell, isn't it? By telling them, oh, by the way, the Lannisters, yeah, the people that, you know, basically have been trying to wreck your lives. Yeah, they're going to come help us now because they know that, you know, this threat is real and, 
you know, we need to band together to defeat the Night King and his army. Well, I mean, here's the deal. And again, Sansa comes up when we're talking about this. And she basically tells Tyrion, you know, for somebody so smart, I don't know how you could be so stupid to trust Cersei in the first place. I, and I think anybody would learn by now that you can't trust her, right? If you've learned nothing else watching Game of Thrones, and I'm sure you've learned a lot, but if you've learned nothing else, you cannot trust Cersei Lannister. I mean, they can't believe that Tyrion would be kind of that stupid. And even I kind of can't. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's working some sort of angle that we don't know quite yet, and that would be very Tyrion, but at the same time, ah, I don't know. And I mean, meanwhile, Cersei, we see her, she's basically happy to just kind of sit back and let everyone kill each other and then, you know, swoop in like a buzzard and pick up the pieces of what's left. But her cockiness, here's the thing. I'm wondering if her cockiness is going to get to her at some point. It just seems like she feels like she's going to get out of this scot-free no matter what she does. As a matter of fact, she also is hiring Braun to basically kill whatever brother he can find. I'm thinking that the, the target was more Jamie than anybody else. But if she can get her hands on Tyrion, you think that he wouldn't kill him as well? I mean, anybody with the last name Lannister or is even in any way, shape, or form related to the Lannister family? Yeah, I think that that's a target as far as Cersei is concerned. But here's one of the coolest moments for me. And speaking of lineage... This should have given you a few guesses. When John and Daenerys are riding the dragons together, uh, that was just a really cool moment. And just to see the dragons except John. And now, remember, only Targaryens can ride dragons. That should have been, I don't know how Danny didn't figure that out, or that didn't kind of clue her in that something might be wrong there. But, uh, yeah, so we'll find out more about, well, we, we already know about John's lineage. The problem is that John doesn't know, but he's going to get a big bite of a reality sandwich a little bit later on. So let's just, we already know who his real parents are. Wait till he finds out. And that's kind of when things really start to set themselves up. You know, Dan, when Danny goes to, you know, thanks Sam for saving Jorah, which was another big moment in the show, she kind of finds out that she also kind of murdered his father and brother for not bending the knee. Now, poor Sam. I mean, come on, man. The the guy, I don't want to say he can't catch a break, but he's just, he's the guy that, you, one of the guys you really root for on the show, and almost in any show, he's like the, for some reason, the guy's named Sam, right? Even Lord of the Rings. You, you know, you rooted for Sam there, you're rooting for Sam here. And to find out, I mean, not that he had the greatest relationship with his dad, but with his brother, I mean, come on, that that hits him super, super hard. I mean, he doesn't take the news well at all. And then, you know, you, you got Bran, who's been basically parked in the courtyard staring people down. And I got to tell you, I, I need to perfect the Bran Stark death stare or stare of just utter, you know, contempt because it's just so amazing. He gives it to John and Daenerys when they both come in. He gives it to Sam, even though he's on Sam's side. And then, well, I'll save that surprise for the end, just in case you... Yeah, we'll talk about the very, very end here in just a second. I want to save that, though. So, basically, this is where Sam and John he meets him down in the crypt... John's already down there. Sam finds him there. He's like, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to be here, but I've got something really important to tell you. Now, you know how much the John 
trusts Sam. I mean, if he's got a bond with anybody outside of family, it's with Sam. That's how close that they really, really are. And then when he gives him the news, when he tells him what's going on and who he really is and who his parents are, it's just written all over Jon Snow's face, isn't it? It's not like he's really stunned by it. I mean, he kind of is. But it's almost like he was getting confirmation of something that he almost already knew but didn't want to admit. And then he starts deflecting, saying, well, my dad was lying to me and all this other stuff. And and Sam's like, look, man, this is the truth. And you are the true heir to the Iron Throne. And what are we going to do about that? And then basically what we're seeing here is just John trying to process this information that you can't even really possibly process. I mean, what do you do when you get thrown something like that at you? This isn't some small thing. And, I mean, you're talking about possibility. Even John says this could be treason. And, I mean, is this a woman that he loves or not? That he tried, that Sansa asked him that question. You know, and who's his real family now, too? Because you saw that really t- touching moment between Arya and John, where she's like, you know, where he, where she, he says, Sansa's my family, too. And she kind of hugs him and says, try not to forget that. And she was really one of the only ones that really loved him and accepted him as a member of the Stark family in the first place. So you've got all this going on. And by the way, the Night King's army is on the way and they're coming quickly. We kind of find that out throughout the episode as well. Oh, and by the way, Jamie Lannister just happened to ride into town in Winterfell. Who's the first person he sees? But Bran Stark. You want to talk about a season one callback. This is a meeting I've been waiting for for a long, long time. And I don't know how much attention's really going to be paid to it or where this is going to go in the long term. But in the short term, I'll even take that one little moment. And I don't think that Jamie Lannister is just going to turn around and walk away, by the way. So I don't think that's going to happen. So I want to know what that next step is between those two. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, do they kind of need Jamie Lannister at this point? I guess they kind of do, right? Given the odds that they're up against. That is one point that Tyrion made very clear, and he was absolutely 100% right about that. But how do you bury that hatchet if you're Bran Stark? You know what I mean? But the Night King demands attention, and we saw that with that the, the most gruesome scene in the entire episode where they basically killed the kid and kind of just put him up on the wall there with that creepy symbol. So that is not a group that you don't that you want to mess with. Now, what we don't know is how much everyone will actually trust each other when push comes to shove. I mean, it's certainly combative right now, and, and you don't know what side a lot of people are on. And, you know, But what's the alternative? That's just the thing. What's the alternative? Did they get slaughtered? I mean, you know, they just... And the numbers game, it's not terrible if everybody plays nice. Even without the Lannister army. I think that they, they, they fare okay. We just don't know where Jon's head is at. After hearing the news that he got. And that might be the biggest piece of this puzzle. Because you don't survive this battle without Jon Snow. I don't care what your numbers are. That is a rock. That is a pillar that you need. Because despite the people of Winterfell being upset with him. I mean really upset. Think about it. You need this guy's leadership. When that sword comes out it's all and it's all business. His people are going to rally behind him. Period. Doesn't matter whether Daenerys is there or not. They're going to rally behind him, period. Now, I'm not saying that they don't need the Dothrakis and all the other armies. They do. 
And that is the point that John has made, and he's absolutely right. We need Daenerys' armies, period. That's just the way it is, no question. But does John actually break this news to anybody? Does it stay down in the crypts, at least for now? When does this become public knowledge? And, and you know, Sam brings up a good point. Would, would Daenerys give up her role as queen for the, for the true king, the true heir to the Iron Throne? And here's the other question for any for any Danny fans. Should she? Honestly, should she? And how much do they really love each other? Because I think she loves him. I don't think there's any question about that. And I actually do think that, that John loves her as well. But uh, how much do they love each other once you face a situation like that? Where now he's the true heir. And I mean, I guess that's something you'd have to prove. And I, I it seems like they probably could. But now, she, if she finds out he's the true heir, now where do you go? Because does the love trump the power? Do, are they okay just sharing the power and being that power couple? Because that's still an option, I think. That's the, that's the thing that, you know, I'm seeing what fans are saying on social media. That seems to be the thing that nobody's really understanding here is, is that it's not just, you know, John is the true, you know, heir to the Iron Throne and just and then Daenerys gets shoved off to the side and goes back in the in the uh, desert area with the Dothrakis. Then no, 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 that's not how this works. They could rule together if that's their choice, right? That's certainly the way it could work. So I don't know why that's not being considered as an option by more people. And and I, I think that this was a very good setup episode. I think that there were a lot of season one vibes, which I really really love. I mean, if you're gonna be the if you're gonna have the final season. You got to take it back that far, but it just seems like what we're being set up for, and this is kind of what's been teased, hasn't it? Is that a vast majority of this season is going to be just one giant epic battle of unforeseen proportions? The likes of probably—I mean, I don't think we've ever seen it on TV before. Never mind a movie. We're being set up for one intense and amazing battle, and you've got dragons on both sides now too. Don't forget about that. So, man, I am so pumped up for this last season of Game of Thrones. It's broken records, and absolutely deservedly so. I know that the end is near, and I know that that's kind of a bummer, but I feel like the ending that we're going to get is going to live up to expectations. No doubt about that. It's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the Season 8 premiere of Game of Thrones. Up next, we do still have some nerd news to talk about and some specs for the PS5, we'll deal with that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Kobe Bell from The Gifted on Fox, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We're not trying to hear about any swamp draining where we are because it's time for nerd news. And it was kind of a weird week for news, wasn't it? So this one coming to us from Star News, Bleeding Cool, and The Hollywood Reporter this week, all because of what was going on with the Swamp Thing live-action series set to debut on DC Universe. Now, when this story first broke, it was from Star News in North Carolina, where the show is being filmed, saying that production was shut down early. This also was put out by Bleeding Cool, by the way, that the show would air fewer episodes, and, and it was implied. Now, don't quote me on this, because I'm not saying that they said this, but this was certainly the implication that the whole DC Universe streaming service was now into question. And this coming the same day 
that a Business Insider story was talking about how great DC's streaming service was and, and it was some sort of you know revival for streamers and, and how much people were loving the original programming. So I'm not saying that Star News or Bleeding Cool said, DC Universe is doomed, it's going away, but it, it, there was a, it was very much doom and gloom from that perspective. Now, you fast forward a little bit later on in the day and you had The Hollywood Reporter putting out a story that, yes, the episode order was cut, production shut down, and it was due to creative differences. So now it was going to be 10 episodes instead of 13. Get to that here in a second. Now, The Hollywood Reporter also kind of backtracked on the whole future of the DC Universe, simply saying that, you know, it's unclear how this is going to fit in the whole Warner Media streamer that's going to be coming a little bit later on. They say fourth quarter of this year. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if that's actually going to happen. But that's another story for another day because we don't even know anything about the Warner Media streamer, really. I mean, you know, if I'm wrong here, let me know. But didn't Titans have their episode order cut as well? They even had some reshoots, too, if I remember right. And, hey, they're going to season two now. And that was a pretty darn good show. So when you cut episodes like this, I mean, think about it. You There's been shows that you've watched on Netflix or even on network television where you're thinking, man, that was a filler episode. Or, man, could have done without that one. Oh, do we really need that? If you give me 10 good episodes, that means you don't have to have that filler. You could just keep your foot on the gas the entire time. So I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. It could just be that they saw a few episodes in this whole thing where they were like, this isn't really necessary. This doesn't do anything for us. So why include it? Now, when you're a part of the project, I'm talking, you know, actor, actress, producer, things like that, you're, you're going to hold these projects close to the vest, and you're going to be upset when something like this happens. There's been deleted social media posts and all kinds of stuff about this, and they should be upset because, you know, you put your heart and soul into something, and then it get, it's if it gets slashed at all, you'd be a little upset about that. And I'm not saying that cutting those three episodes is a good thing or a bad thing. We will probably never know. At this point, right? But it could be a good thing. It could just be that this will condense the story to make it more interesting and make it more, you know, must-watch-the-next-episode kind of feeling. Especially since DC Universe releases their episodes on a weekly basis. Not all at the same time. There's no real binge-watching here for DC Universe shows. So, think about it from that perspective, at least for now. Now, it's also possible that, you know... This whole Warner Media thing isn't going to be a big deal either. Think about it. It could be that DC Universe subscribers would just be migrated over to a Warner Media streamer. Think about it. That would give Warner Media a big number to announce for their initial subscribers because you're already piggybacking on what DC Universe already had. Or the other option is that Warner Media subscribers could just get DC Universe in some sort of a bundle or reduced rate or something like that. Remember the Disney Plus announcement? There was talk of having some sort of a bundle for like Disney Plus and Hulu and, and some other things. So this is not totally out of the realm of possibility. And, you know, lo and behold, once all this stuff started coming down, DC's like, okay, enough with this. Let's stop kidding around. So they released a first look video of the Swamp Thing series. It was really quick. Don't know anything about the show based on it, but we do, we do get a decent look at Swamp Thing, we get to see the swamp itself, and I mean, it looks creepy and eerie, and yeah, exactly how you would want the show to look at first glance, but there's really no way to tell anything about the series based on this teaser, and you call it a teaser at best, and did confirm that the May 31st release date 
is still happening, and it does look like business as usual at DC Universe. Yep, Harley's still happening. Stargirl's still happening. I know it was, you know, fans can be quick to panic, and I totally understand that, especially since, you know, these things can be pretty volatile sometimes. You never know how things are going to go. I mean, we're going to have a story here in a couple minutes of something that looked like it was a done deal and it's not, but we'll get to that in a second. So I understand the reaction, but sometimes you just got to sit back let the dust settle a little bit, get some confirmations, because Warner and DC Universe didn't really respond to any of this. There were no comments on any of this stuff. And as of me recording this show, there still aren't. So it's not, and when you're not hearing something official, even though, you know, you people have sources, you always have to kind of ease back on it a little bit and maybe not jump the gun. I mean, that's what I like to do on this show anyway. And on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com, we're posting more news articles up there now. I like to try and, I, you know, it's great to be first, but it's also great to be right. And I'm not saying anybody was wrong here because, I mean, the episode order was cut and production was halted. There were a lot of things that were right about that initial report. But there were also some things that were kind of maybe run with a little bit faster than than was actually being reported. So... I mean, I'm not saying that that everything was done right, and I'm not necessarily saying mistakes were made either. I'm just saying that sometimes you got to take a deep breath and let things kind of play out and see what happens. Now, this is something that we know for sure, anyway, because Wired was talking to PlayStation 4 lead system architect Mark Cerny lately and maybe got some details, yes, did get some details, about some PlayStation 5 specs. Now... It is partially going to be based on PS4 architecture, so that it will be backwards compatible. Yay, the one thing we really wanted. It will not be all digital either. Again, yay, we will still have discs. It will also have games released for both consoles, at least in the beginning, but that's not a huge surprise. PS4 and PS3 did that, and they were almost night and day different from each other. Okay, now technical jargon that you might not understand, but could be important if you're not a hardcore gamer. Now, an 8-core AMD processor is going to be a part of this. I won't get into the deep-down specifics on that, but that's pretty fast. It will support 8K resolution when the TVs catch up, because right now they are not. So we'll keep that in mind. It will have a custom Radeon Navi for graphics and will support ray tracing, which is being done more and more lately. Just know that that is a good thing. 3D audio is also being implemented, they say, for more immersive experience and that to me shouts VR but they're not saying anything specific about VR what their plans are they say yeah it's important that it didn't it's not like they jumped out and said this is for VR but we'll talk about that more in a second now we'll have solid state hard drives that will definitely speed things up a bit so all of this is very helpful and it's it's certainly forward-thinking stuff that you would think Sony would you know be putting in their next-gen console now there's no launch date announced or even plans that might be changed for E3. Remember, they're not having a press conference this year. Sony isn't. I mean, this seems like they're really setting up for a better VR experience, though, doesn't it? Based on a lot of these specs. And, you know, the backwards compatibility thing, it's a huge step in the right direction. It does say that, okay, Sony is actually listening because sometimes it's hard to tell, right? Based on things that we've seen. Now, to me, price point's going to be huge here. We got to be talking somewhere in the six to eight hundred dollar range for this console, right? I can't imagine that it's going to be anything less. And I know that you're going, "Whoa, it's a lot of money." I want you to think about what you're paying for that smartphone that you've got in your hand right now. 
Just because you're paying for it over the course of like two years, like 10 to 20 bucks a month, maybe more depending on your phone, you're spending a good 500 to $1,500 on your smartphone, depending on what you have. So a gaming console that does a lot of pretty cool stuff as well and gives you top-of-the-line games suddenly doesn't seem like such a big deal to be paying for. So I know the games are expensive too, and I know once you have your smartphone, you have it, and there's a ton of free apps, blah, blah, blah. I get it, okay? I really understand. Maybe it's an apples and oranges comparison to you, but to me, when I hear somebody complain about price, I think about other things that they spend money on, like their phone, like your coffee, like eating out. There's all these things that add up, and you think, man, this is not a lot of money, but it really is because you're stretching it out instead of having to pay for it all at once. But I'll get off my high horse about that now. It seems like there were load speeds that were a huge factor in this design. I'm curious to see, though, how the online interface is going to be here and if they're going to try and do anything to prevent lag or even drops. I know they can't really completely do that just because it depends on your ISP as well, and it depends on who you're, the ISPs of the gamers that you're playing with too, but it seems like at least this is a good step in the right direction. Of course, these aren't the total specs or anything, but so far so good as far as I'm concerned. I want to see this tested out, though. I know that they did a quick load test with Insomniac Spider-Man PS4 comparing the two. I'm going to need more than that. And I'm sure that once they're ready, they will give us that. But I don't get the impression that this is going to be coming out immediately. I think we're still going to have a little bit of time before we see the PlayStation 5. And that's not even the working title yet. We don't even know what it's going to be. One thing that we do know is that another show has been canceled. This according to Deadline. And not really shocking, but still sad. The Gifted has been canceled after two seasons at Fox. Now, this has got to be a post-merger type of a deal, if you ask me, because there was no way that Fox was going to be keeping a show that was produced by 20th Century Fox, who was sold to Disney on their network, right? No-brainer. Here's the odd part. The same story from Deadlines implies that the Orville, which is also a 20th Century Fox product, will likely be renewed by the network. And I know that you know, Fox has always had a good relationship with Seth MacFarlane and, you know, ever since Family Guy, and they've had several of his shows on there. You don't necessarily want to lose a guy like that. I get it. But, I mean, The Gifted, the ratings weren't fantastic, but they did pretty well. The story was really good. Had some nice DVR and streaming returns, so there would be no reason not to keep this show other than you don't want that Marvel label on your network now because of how everything went down. And again, I don't know that any of this is true, but this is what I'm thinking off the top of my head. Now, the story also goes on to say the show could find a new home on another Disney-related network. First thing that popped into my head was Freeform. I think you put this on the same network as Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, and you've already got a built-in audience for that show that might not have been watching The Gifted before, but it certainly fits within the theme of what they're doing on Freeform with their Marvel programming, and even some of their other programming as well. It just fits the right age range, you would think, for that network. Hulu's also a possibility because you've got Runaways on there as well. And remember, Jeff Loeb said the whole thing about the Marvel Runaways and Cloak and Dagger crossovers. Throw the gifted into the mix, and I think you got yourself one hell of a crossover. That's just me. Maybe that's even how you integrate the gifted into this whole thing. But here's the one thing to me that is holding this entire thing back. 
We have no idea what Disney's plans for the X-Men as a whole are yet. If this show doesn't fit into those plans, they feel like it's going to give fans the wrong impression of what that vision is, and yes, I'm talking about the movies just as much as television, then it's toast. It'll never happen. Even though it was a good show, it wasn't their story. It wasn't their idea, and it's not their people involved. That is a tough, tough sell when you buy something. When I'm talking about a network or your or a big conglomerate, buy something that already existed in the previous conglomerate, that is a tough sell. I mean, when you talk about something like Avatar that prints money, that's not a tough sell at all. Kingsman, same thing. So those are things that were acquired by Disney from Fox. Those things are going to be okay. The Gifted, I love the show. Trust me. Hashtag Save the Gifted. I'm right there with you. But you also have to understand that this wasn't their idea. And the show does have a good following, has a great cast. There's great chemistry there. I don't think Disney wants to have anything to do with Brian Singer. My opinion, nobody at Disney has said that to me, but that is my opinion. I can't imagine they'd have Brian Singer back. I do think Matt Nix would be back, though. I think the writing on the show has been pretty solid, and I think he's made solid contributions to the show. I think you keep him around if this show does migrate over. Hopefully, we'll have good news on this front soon. Speaking of casualties of the merger, though, I wanted to get to this real quick. And both of these from Deadline, by the way. Why the Last Man, the DC slash Vertigo title that was going to be adapted by FX, is now lost its showrunners. Apparently, one of the showrunners, Ida Mashka Kral, actually tweeted out a statement. I'm going to just grab a little piece of this that FX decided not to move forward with the series. And I quote, in its current form. Now, FX said that this whole thing happened because of creative differences, which seems to be the buzzword this week. Now, the plans to still move forward to this, apparently, for the 2020 release, but I can't imagine that they're going to do that. And from DC's perspective, do you really want a Disney-slash-Marvel-owned network now handling a DC property? Maybe it's too late. Maybe the ink is dry and you can't get out of this thing. But at the same time... Do you want to see this happen, or do you not want to see this happen? I don't want my competitor controlling my content. I could tell you that right now. I don't care what it is. I know that this isn't Batman, but it's still a DC property being handled by Disney. And if I'm DC, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that. Now, I know some fans are going to, well, maybe Marvel will make it better. Okay. It could be good with or without Marvel's influence, or Disney's influence. It seemed like people were really excited about it regardless. So I don't know that this will ever happen. I, th- I know that they've already got a cast in place and they've got some, some folks that are, that are already signed up for this, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen. Case in point, the fact that Disney's decided to pass on Boom Studios' Mouse Guard movie that was supposed to be happening from 20th Century Fox. Production was actually stopped two weeks before the official start date, so this is a real bummer. Now, the implication was the project just wasn't the right fit. To me, it just seems like... If Disney really believed in this project or they thought that it was something that would do well, they would have found a way to make it work. They would have brought their own people in or rewrites or something like that. But, I mean, you already had Matt Reeves who was going to be involved in this. Idris Elba was in the cast. Andy Serkis. Plenty more big names there. It's not like you had a bunch of scrubs on this and Disney just went, ah, this is not something that we put together and we don't like how this is going. So we're going to just get rid of it. This just seems like a deal that wasn't made by them. And they didn't want it. And that's a shame for Boom Studios, too, because they had that first look deal from 20th Century Fox. And who knows 
What's going to happen with that there? now? There's, gonna, there's been really no talk about that at all. Now, the title is being shopped around. Netflix is mentioned. I mean, you gotta have, you got to wonder how that's going to affect how they retain the cast. And money is also a factor here. Let's not forget about that. You can't just say that you know money's not a factor because it is. And I don't know. Maybe they've only maybe Disney feels like there's only room for one mouse. I don't know. And I saw somebody describe this as Game of Thrones with mice. It's kind of not that. I mean, it is a little bit, but it's really kind of not that. I think that's a little bit of an overstatement. Maybe that's a compliment, though. I don't know. But I, I just don't feel like that's what Mouse Guard is. But hopefully it will find a home because I do think this would be a cool project. I was looking forward to it, and I'm kind of bummed that we might not see it. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, going to be going into the dojo with the Cobra Kai. It's William Zabkin and Martin Cove. We'll talk to them next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, my name is Mary Mauser from Cobra Kai, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I remember how excited I was to see Cobra Kai Season 1. I think I might be even more excited to see Season 2 of Cobra Kai when it hits YouTube on April the 24th, one of the YouTube originals. And one of the guys that I'm looking forward to seeing the most is the first guy that we sat down with at WonderCon this year. It's Martin Cove, who, of course, plays Sensei John Kreese. The first question for him was, hey, where's he been? You know, what's interesting is that when they told me, they said to me, we want you for episode 10, season 2. We're going to set up season 2. And I said to you know, I said to them, we were at lunch, and I said, why can't I come in season episode 6, episode 7? And they said, because you're going to set up season 2, it's got to be episode 10. And I said, okay. And... They were so smart, they were just so intelligent, and they were so persuasive, and they knew so much about this guy, that all the notes and backstory that I created, literally, they had on their plate already. They knew exactly why he became a bully. I worked with some, you know, talking about season two, I went in there with a whole bunch of information, because I worked with Army Rangers, which is where he came from. John Kreese came from in Vietnam. And they had all that information already about why I became a bully, why, you know, No Mercy came about. I even created the name of Cobra Kai, and I thought it was very ingenious how I got to it. They had something better, <laughs> you know? So I said, oh, shit, you know, I'm just going gonna, gonna to go for it. But in the last 30 years, I was not allowed to tell anybody before the show aired if I was in the show. So what I did was I told everyone because they, they all came up to me and said, aren't you in the show, aren't you in the show, when they started hearing the press. And I would say, no, I'm, you know, I'm working for the KGB for the last 30 years. I'm working for the CIA. I'm in prison. I'm dead. And I would make up the stuff just to entertain myself because I couldn't even talk about the character. I was asked not to speak for seven, nine months from the time we made the deal in September until May of last year when it aired. It was horrible. My question for Martin was, where are he and Johnny at at the beginning of season two? So where are he and Johnny at at the start of season two, relationship-wise? Well, it's a really good episode. And, you know, it, it's, I can tell you a little bit. It just continues where it left off. And it's, it's a brilliant episode, episode one. I don't know if some people in the press saw episode, 10 episodes of season two. Some didn't, but it's really a rich season. But episode one is brilliant because it, you really find out where he's been, what he wants to do, and how he wants to share it with Johnny Lawrence. And it's, 
it's written articulately. You know, it's really written with everybody's gray, everybody's human. There isn't a white hat or a black hat, you know. And that's what I like about it. And that's what I like about, you know, if and when we get a season three to cultivate, you know, when I first got this part, I thought he was just he was just another heavy. John Cruz is nothing heavy. I was doing Cagney Lacey at the time. I didn't know really what to make of it. It wasn't iconic at the time. But then slowly, you just realize how much the public loved the show and how much they loved the three reasons why it was so popular. They were either a bully, bullied back in 84 when they saw it, or they had a romance that didn't work, that was monumental to them, or they were a fish out of water, that basically their father was in the military or whatever, and they had to move around. And it was a highly identifiable time for most of the public with those three issues. And I believe that um, that's why the movie, aside from the fact that it was written so well, it, you know, I think I think that's why it was so memorable and iconic and carried on into this natural phenomenon of you couldn't do this with a so-so movie. You couldn't do this with, you know, a lot of movies I made. <laughs> you, know, you couldn't do this with Steel Justice or whatever, but, you know, you couldn't even do it with wider. But the thing is, is that you can do it with an iconic picture where you can care about the characters and everybody followed them for so long. 35 years later. You know? Next question up for Martin Cove. Was there a father-son dynamic between Kreese and Johnny even way back when? He was my best dude. He was a son that I wish I had. Yeah. And uh, over the years, my character, you know, he had a lot of time to think about, which you learn about in this new season. He had a lot of time to think about breaking the trophy and giving a headlock and making an exit so darkly. So insensitively and it's I don't that's not what the character is about now there's a lot of that in there but he's not all about the stoic vengeful guy that we saw you know in Karate Kid 1 and 2 and 3 so there is he is there's only two things John Kreese thinks about he thinks about the integrity of Cobra Kai and Johnny Lawrence as his son that he didn't have and can't give you too much information, <laughs> but it's all there. When one gets in the way of the other, there's no time for sorrow. And finally, someone asked Martin, "Will Chris support or hinder Johnny from him bettering himself as a person?" I, I am neither a hindrance or a, a supporter. Um, there are changes that go on in the script, in each script, where we have a love affair and where we eventually hate each other, and then when maybe we have a love affair again. It goes like this, because these two characters are flawed characters. And like in any good relationship, you just are at each other's throats, or you're making love, you know? And, and that's what they've written, which is so amazing, which is why there's so many viewers, because they've written things that we go through in life, emotions we go through. So John Kreese being as much of a Darth Vader in the karate world, the, 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 vengeful, the vengeful villain, he still does have a soul. And he still has a respect for the things that mean something to him that probably should mean a little bit more to Johnny Lawrence. Whether you call him William Zabgar, Billy Zabka, 
He was next to sit down with us, Johnny Lawrence himself, to talk about Cobra Kai Season 2. And the first question was, how does it feel to kind of be back again telling even more of the story now? It's uh, it's surreal, man. It really is, yeah. It's like Karate Kid has had this long sustain in my life, you know, and kind of in culture. And it's just, you know, it's just been laid there, you know, and I've talked about it in this. And, but for it to now have this new life with Cobra Kai and to revisit these characters and these you know, in bringing new new characters in these situations, it's uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to get your head around. It's awesome. Next up, the question was, what's it like to play Johnny in more of a sympathetic role this time around? It's great. You know, I mean, he's rough around the edges. You know, on the page, some of the stuff that he says and does, I'm like, wow, man, like you sure? You know, people aren't gonna hate him? You know, like this is so. But it's really like, you know, I I feel a connection to this character, and um, I feel like I know him pretty well. Um, so, uh, you know, he's not out for sympathy, he's just out to, to, to make his way, you know, and there's something about that I think that people relate to, you know, a guy that's just trying to make his way. He's, he's leaping, you know, he's, he's not bothering anybody, he's staying out of everybody's business, you know. He almost doesn't even get involved with the fight for Miguel until he gets thrown against his car, and it's like, hey man, don't mess with my car, you know. It's not like he's trying to be a superhero, you know, he's just... He's just uh, following his footsteps, and he has a connection with this kid who, in a way, is taking the spot of his own son that he really is craving, and, and you know, and there's a big hole in his heart. He's trying to connect with this, with this son who wants nothing to do with him. So here comes a boy about his age who's responding to him and who's needing him, and Johnny's right to, to fill somebody up with what he's got, good or bad. So I think all those things... Uh, you know, make him endearing in a sense. Although, um, you know, you don't play to that. You just do the, you just do the work, and, and it's been doing good. You know, somebody had to ask this question eventually. How does Johnny deal with Crease being back? He's up against a lot now. Yeah, for sure. In the Karate Kid, the opening line that I had as an actor, my ever doing any movie, was on the motorcycle at the top of the hill. We pull up, and Daniel's down there with Allie, and. Uh, my guy said, hey, Johnny, you want a beer? He goes, no, I'm an ex-degenerate. I got one year to make it work, and that's what I'm going to do, make it work. All of it, right? His intention from the time you meet this guy is to make things work, and it's still not working. <laughs> 35 years later, and he still can't make things work. And that's because of the complexity of what's in his life and who's in his life and what he's been taught and what he has to draw, and he's got a very small toolbox. He didn't have a parent. He didn't have a good dad. He had Sensei Kreese, who he loves and adores like a father, but he led him down the wrong road and tried to choke him out, you know? So he's a complex character, you know? He just... Uh, he grew up where he grew up, you know, he grew up in the rocks and he's trying to reach the sun in a way. Next question for Billy Zabka was, what does Johnny think about the competition of Miyagi-Do? Sure, yeah, 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 that's great. Go on over there if you want to do some slave labor. <laughs> <laughs> you want to paint some fences, wax some cars, hop on over, you know. Um, you know, honestly, like Johnny, isn't. Uh, he, he's aware of it. I think what Johnny's more upset about, if anything, is that Robbie's training with, with Daniel and that his son has chosen, you know, the one person in his life who, who stuck a knife in his heart to, to confide in and to, to trust. And Johnny wants nothing more than to earn that from Robbie. So he's not so concerned about Miyagi-Do. He knows who's karate is king in the valley, although we'll see, right? He's not threatened or intimidated by the idea of Miyagi-Do. What he's intimidated by is the fact that Daniel LaRusso is offering Miyagi-Do for free because that's cutting in on his, on his profit, his business, you know? So if any, 
thing. He's not happy about that, um, and so he feels like he needs to step it up because he's got a business going. And he's got a lot of he's got a nice car this season, so he's got to keep that. One of the things I really wanted to ask Billy Zabka was about the students and how things ended in season one. So where is he at with them at the beginning of this season? There's a great line in the trailer, and I can't remember it exactly about wanting to beat somebody at their best. So talk about where he's at with the students coming up in this season, yeah. and maybe even with Miguel and how he's going to try and morph him back into something maybe he originally intended. Yeah, I mean, he set these kids down a wrong path in a lot of ways, and at the last speech before the tournament, he says, there's one thing I haven't told you, the secret of Karate Cobra Kai, and that's no mercy. And so he sends them out into the tournament and sees no mercy in action from an objective point of view and realizes this is maybe needs some adjusting. Uh, and he, especially when it's his son on the other end of that beating stick. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, so day one back in the class, you know, you've got all these kids who think that they, and they're, they're right. I mean, they listened to their teacher and they went out and they did what he said. Um, but now he has to correct them because Johnny's changing. What's great about Johnny and, and the kids is that he's, He's working his issues out in front of them. He's giving them things to do and then going, ah, I gotta change this, I gotta change that. And they're almost like these little experiments. He's lighting these little, uh, setting these like little fires off and they has to put them out a little bit. Um, but now he's really, you know, he's, he's, he's looking inward. He's trying to make some changes if he can, but he's also at his core, you know, as he would say, badass. And, um, and he's, he's not, he's not going to become a wussy, you know. He's, gonna be, he's still going to be tough, but he's going to just do it clean if he can. But then you got three levels of kids in that class now, three levels of generations. We got the generations of these kids. We got Johnny, who's old school, and Chris, who's super old school. So three of those butt heads. And finally, my last question, based on one of my favorite episodes of the last season, I had to ask because it looked like Johnny and Daniel were going to be buds there for a second, and then it just kind of didn't happen. What was it kind of like to play that up? There was a moment in season one where it almost looked like Daniel and Johnny were going to be buddies there yeah. for just a hot minute. Yeah. What was that like for you having that moment all those years later after all the things that happened in the original movie? Um, that moment uh, to play or to see or to read? You mean like all, this, all, of all of it? I loved it. I couldn't wait to get to episode nine with, with Ralph and do that scene. You know, we always, we've always we had that opposition and the, and the anger between us and the tension between us but it, it's great to to let some of the the armor down and put the sword on the table and have a beer with them you know and I love the title of that episode which was different but same so they're actually maybe at their core probably more similar than not but they've just been downloaded they're complete different products of their environment and they have different world views and uh, they're always gonna butt heads no matter what they could never probably you know work together too well you know, so but I love the idea of how much they were saying exploring that um, their common ground, and hopefully, you know, people can put their differences aside. So there's a part of me that roots for them to to work it all out, and I don't think that you know it's not like they need to brawl, but um, there's a lot of pain in the history between them, and especially on my, on Johnny's side, you know, he's uh, he lost his girl, he lost his title. Daniel's doing fine, you know. Yep. So it's not like they're both in the. It's not like Daniel lives across the apartment. It's like, hey man, you know, he sucked. Let's go have a beer. You know, like Daniel's driving around in freaking Audis, you know. He's got this hot wife and a beautiful house. And he's doing just fine. He can offer karate for free. So, you know, tables aren't so even right now. So, But we'll see. It's a lot of fun to play and a lot of, a lot of uh, fun to play with Ralph, too. I can't really express how real the hype is for me right now on Cobra Kai Season 2. I'm so glad I've only got a few more days to wait. April the 24th, this coming Wednesday. That is when it's going to be back on YouTube, and I mean, I was already looking forward to season one, and now that I know how good the show is going to be, it, it just makes it that much more 
something that I need in my life right this second. So I'm glad that the wait is almost over. It is over for us, though. That's going to do for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to William Zabka and Martin Cove for joining me at WonderCon to talk a little Cobra Kai Season 2. If you want more from us, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find some past shows there. Find out all the things. Maybe you liked a couple of the comics that I talked about this week. You can buy those off of Amazon right there on our website. Also, follow us on social media. Hey, hi to all of our new subscribers and followers this week, too, by the way, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com slash downandnerdy as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.